I had asked um, what your community would like to hear about tonight. Of course, everybody wants to talk about the same things, uh, the, uh, the two pestilences that we have uh, right now that are, uh, that we're trying to dialogue about, and that would be the uh, virus, Corona-19, uh, COVID-19, and of course, issues of uh, racism, uh, particularly police brutality. So for some people, these, um, uh, uh, both the illness and the brutality is uh, a, a rude awakening, an eye opener. But for who people who have been marginalized and uh, live an entirely different life from different point of reference, right here in these United States, it's like just another day in the neighborhood. So it just depends on which side of that uh, perception you're on as to how you are able to handle and cope with what is happening uh, in the world today. So I thought that I would give us some reference for how we can develop uh, a perception that is useful. We call ourselves, or maybe some of us consider ourselves disciples of the Buddha and he talks about what is right view, what is beneficial, what is useful, what is helpful. Then he talks about how to um, work with that understanding that we have in our speech and in our actions. So he says a thing may be true, you know, if it's true, um, then you just have a, a right or a responsibility to say it. But he said, not everything true needs to be said. He said that if you're thinking a thought and that thought is true, but it might not be the most useful or helpful thought. He said, maybe one should move one's mind to a different thought. When we're in our like downtime, like we're not actually handling a situation he gave a prescription for what we should be thinking about during that time. You know, whatever, so whatever things uh, uh, in the Bible says, whatsoever things are beautiful, lovely, just of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any merit, think on these things. And the Buddha says that there are two kinds of thought, that which uh, inures towards good and that which doesn't. And he said, whichever way we lean and ponder, that will be the inclination of our mind. We'll continue to think that way. That's how we fall down the rabbit hole. You know, uh, whatever thought we have, if we just keep following that, following that, he's no good, he's no good, he's no good, uh, then we will continue, our minds will continue to incline in that way. And before we know it, we're in a deep hole said, but if we were to gladden our mind, then when uh, some unruliness appears or something that is uh, hurtful or something 
that is hard to accept, even though it might be true. He said, we would be in a better mental state to be able to hold that in such a way that we could be useful in the moment uh, and a part of setting up a different set of conditions in the next moment. So that's what I would like to talk about a little bit tonight. Um, the, uh, you can kind of think of, of um, meditation and like we just had a, a wonderful meditation. There was such an atmosphere of calm and, and stillness. Of course the Buddha said that doesn't stay. You know, that's like just while we're in there, he calls uh, that a pleasant abiding here and now. There's nothing wrong with having a pleasant abiding. He said, but I don't call that that uh, practice. Uh, I think it's in Sutta number six or eight in the Majima Nikaya. Uh, and it's the, uh, the Sutta on the rubbing out of self. And I'm sure that I've mentioned it to you before. Uh, been at one of the Dharma talks I gave at your center because I always mention it. Repetition is really good for it. It's good for us. Uh, it puts us in remembrance. I mean, we thrive on repetition. Some of us watch the news for 12 hours a day, you know, and uh, I have a, a couple of stations that I watch and I mean, I can almost like talk with him after a few hours because I've heard it 20 times in the last six hours. Um, but we just think that's being informed. Uh, but when we come to the Dharma, we hear something one time, we think that's enough. You know, oh yeah, I heard that. Oh yeah, I know all about that. But he said that it's good for us to uh, remember, you know, uh, and part of, of the correct understanding of remember to recall, to bring back to one's mind uh, the, uh, the teachings, the, the right view until we've imbibed it so much that it's in our heart and it rises up in the moment. Right now, maybe some other kinds of, of um, uh, mental states rise up in the moment. And that just lets us know for a long time, uh, we have inclined the mind in that way. So uh, the Buddha had um, a holy man, a Sita, who was um, uh, his spiritual teacher. And, and in the... Uh, his father's court, there were many ministers, many counselors, and some taught him to, uh, to uh, uh, be good in archery, and some in academic learning, and so, you know, so all of these teachers, but Asita was the one who was um, giving him the, uh, the challenge of becoming noble, noble in quality and noble in character one who's able to lead his people. Now, he had a particularly challenging uh, role because he needed to bring him to the height of the best he could be in terms of a great leader and a great ruler and not one smidget over because he would flip out and the Buddha himself would become a holy man. And so this was a tough job. Like he had to like, walk right on that precipice of giving him all that he could give him to be of the greatest, uh, most noble quality and character and yet not go over so that he wouldn't flip and decide because it had been prophesied that he could either become, you know, a world ruler or he become a holy man himself. 
Well, Asita, I think he went a little bit over the line. And so we ended up with um, Siddhartha uh, embarking fully on the spiritual path. Now, during those years that Asita trained him, he put into his heart from the time he was a little child all the way up until the night, as they say, that he crept out of the court. And he taught him about uh, truthfulness, about steadfastness, about compassion, about nonviolence. It taught him about straightforwardness, just speaking plainly. Uh, we, uh, we have a hard time uh, with that uh, today, just not so much using euphemisms. And I can tell that we've overused them because we've become so fragile. So fragile that you have to be so careful about everything you say. Nobody can even get the gist of something. Nobody can even get the, uh, the point that was trying to be made. I remember one time I was uh, uh, doing a retreat and I was talking with my dharmacharyas and I was telling them about uh, why uh, monastics practice uh, receiving things and not taking them as if they're being personally uh, being given to them personally, but they're being given to the monastic sangha. You just happen to be the, the point of contact for it. And in that way, um, they were trained to not say thank you because people like to be thanked. And there's some privilege in being seen as one who's a great giver. Yeah. And so we get a little bit of, go a little bit astray in our understanding of giving. So when we give something, we want to be acknowledged, we want to be thanked. And that um, sort of contributes to more selfing. Uh, but when I, I, I had a master and uh, uh, people would say, what should I bring her? And I said, you don't have to bring her anything. She said, I said, do your practice. That's your greatest gift to her. But they would always come with some gift. And as soon as they put it into her hands, she'd like pass it right on to somebody. I'd like, wait a minute. She didn't hardly look at it. She said, oh, thank you so much. She passed it right on to, some, to someone. Um, and it's hard for one to understand the power in that, the power in not being attached to anything, not being, not needing to be thanked, uh, not needing a gift. If one wants to give a gift, one should give a gift. And everything we do, actually we do for ourselves. So if I think about it in that way, give, the giving of this gift is a benefit to me. The giving of this time of service, it's a benefit to me. The giving of, you know, that's how one should cultivate. And, and, and it's a stark difference from the way the world thinks about giving. So it's like that with giving and it's like that with everything else. And if we haven't had that training that the Buddha had, then sometimes we misunderstand how to apply the teachings, especially when we come in and we want to go straight to the back of the, of the book, you know, um, when we talk about the uh, ennobling eightfold path, you know, and how he starts well with uh, a right view, you know, but we want to jump to number seven, you know, we want to do number seven and number eight first, because 
Uh, we think like, that's where the juice is. And it's true. That is where the juice is. But you need to pass through all of these in order to be able to handle it rightly, to be able to use it to its uh, greatest advantage. And so there's something that's required for us to go through to be able to make our muscles strong enough so that at the time that we are needed, called upon to give a hand, we can do it. We are qualified. We are ready. Um, and we've uh, worked with ourselves enough that we're not thinking about uh, what's in it for me. Developing the qualities of, of, of the parameters, uh, paramis they're called in the Theravada, um, just uh, uh, the practice of patience even. You know, um, sometimes we want something and we're like, we're, we're through. We've gone as far as we can go and we're demanding it and we want it. And I would submit to you that when one has that mindset, that frame of mind, it's going to be very difficult to do some things because the abilities to transform the situation may not be fully developed in us. And yet we're leading the brigade on the transformation. We cannot transform the world only to the extent that we ourselves are transformed. So maybe we haven't had the years and years and years of preparation that we need for our perceptions to be different. Then we are operating out of our current perceptions, how we see, how we see the world, how we, how we see things, and how we understand it based on experiences that we have had. That becomes like our, our, our standard based on, you could truly say, you know, uh, treating people like we want to be treated. You know, but even when I make a mistake, there's a certain way I want you to relate to me. <laughs> to be honest, you know, if I make a mistake, I'm, I can acknowledge that I, I made a mistake, you know, or you can even recognize that I made a mistake and you can give me, you give me grace. So do I give that to the person that I encounter that made a mistake? When I have a view, you know, it's my view. You may not agree with it, but I would feel like I had the right to share my view, to speak my truth. Can I give you that when your view is not my view and your truth is not my truth? It's easy to love people that love us, but can we love people that don't love us? I mean, anybody can love people that love you, but can you really love people who don't love you? Yeah. Or people who hate you, can you? Um, there's some trainings, I love them in the Tibetan uh, tradition. Uh, it's, uh, and they are designed to help us deal with ourselves when we're, when we're in those kinds of situations. Uh, one of them is accepting defeat and giving the victory to others. If I can't accept defeat over little things, I'm not going to be able to accept it over big things. 
Can I yield? Sometimes I can even be right, you know. But how do I want to be right or do I want to have my friend? If I want to keep my friendship, maybe this is not the time when I can see that she can't hear me. She's not listening. I can leave that for now and I can go to another topic. And maybe if I'm skillful enough, I can dovetail and I can come around in the back door, you know, and bring it around in a little different way, you know. Or maybe I can go back and I can set up, you know, a, a more appropriate uh, 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 container to drop that bit of truth in or what I consider a truth in. You know, it's all of these ways, you know, that uh, the Buddha learned to be skillful. Uh, he said, but uh, what king goes to war without first counting up the cost, you know? And so we have to have to consider all of these things. I, I, um, I think so many times that while the protests were wonderful, you know, I also understand cause and condition. And some are, are, are still protesting. And we've had protests in the past. Um, but the thing about it is, if I look at this protest, I think if the virus wasn't here, it wouldn't have been the protest that it is. Protesting in alliance, day number one, day number three, Day number five, get to day number eight. You know, I am behind you 100%, but I got to go to work today. But if there was no work and we had to stay cooped up in the house, I'd be glad to go out and march just so I could get outside. I mean, there are a lot of different reasons that our protests were so large. I have no illusion that all of it was... Uh, around an alliance. I mean, because if so, then we could have marched the week before because all this was going on the week before too. He wasn't the first guy who got killed, you know? And so, so we have to be able to hold things in a certain way so that we don't lose sight of the, of the whole picture. I mean, if, if all somebody would have to do is Google they could they could Google police brutality a month before someone uh, stood on on that gentleman's neck, or they could have asked a black person, and we could just tell you because it goes on all the time. So we have to be careful to not over uh, overstep what it is we think that we're doing and because we've stepped to it right now, like what a good boy am I? Because if we were honest, we knew about these things a year ago, a decade ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. No, and I don't even need to go back any further than that. So I say that so that we can have the right um, attitude towards how to go forward and how to make what has been started count. 
because there's only so long you're going to be able to do some things. For instance, there were some um, free zones set up, one in, I think, in Seattle. But after a while, I think it started yesterday or so, the police is now disbanding that. Um, there's been some violence in that community. And anyway, they just can't stay there forever. So what after protest? What happens after protest? What do we know? If we are rooted in anger, in hostility, in impatience, in violence, in uh, a lack of moderation, and it, then not too much is going to come out of it going forward. But if we are rooted in ahimsa, in nonviolence, in satya, in truthfulness, you know, in asteya, non-stealing, in brahmacharya, uh, energy conservation, moderation in how we move and speak, in, in uh, patience, in steadfastness, in compassion, in straightforwardness. Then as we uh, start to make our, uh, enter into our dialogue, our conversation, you know, uh, we will steadily make progress through our moderation, through our level-headedness, uh, through being able to sit with one that we disagree with and reason and reason and reason, because sometimes it takes that, and reason and reason. There are other things we have to do. We have to recognize when uh, we need to step back for some self-care because we've gotten a little bit beyond our capacity to hold the moment. Even if we're in charge, when we know that we've stepped from the side of balance, then we need to step back for self-care. You know, there's some people who love um, and, uh, you know, they love animals. They love pets more than they love even their own species, even human beings. Uh, well, one thing is that the pets can really appreciate you. <laughs> they can really make you feel loved. Well, cats, maybe not so much, you know. Cats rule the house. But certainly dogs. I mean, And I have some that uh, they want to come to Hartwood to live, you know, and they want to bring their pets, you know, so they can stay in their room with their pets and not really have to deal with the people in the community. So it's like, no, you can't bring your pet. Unfortunately, you can stay with them until they die, and then you're welcome to make application for hardwood. Or you can find a loving home because you're embarking upon a certain kind of training that's not gonna, going to uh, allow you to, to uh, wrap all your affection in your, in your pets. There's different places to you know, cultivate and develop different things. And this is not one of those places for, for you to lavish more love on your pets or to receive more love from your pets. And they get really upset with me. You know, but we have some strays. We have a cat there that when we bought the property, the cat was living there. <clears throat> I mean, we moved into the cat's territory. 
you know so now we have no choice with that one we have to we have to keep that one because we're in in his place and we appreciate being in his place he knows we're in his place we know we're in his place and he never lets us forget that that's his house you know uh, but it's uh it's like that it's um uh, It's easy to be with people who won't disagree with you. But how do you fare when people disagree? They don't uh, take your side. We're, we're going through uh, a little bit of a challenge right now because we have a person uh, that's sort of like his own kind of person. He's been that way all his life. His parents died, you know, when he was young and he's survival. He's a survivor, you know. And um, we thought it would be good to give him a place to stay for the for the winter but his um understanding of things is a little bit different you know than ours and so the consensus is let's throw him out because his ways are not ours you know and i said oh what a wonderful opportunity to practice you know can you just remind him wash your hands each time you come in in the kitchen, instead of saying, oh, he didn't wash his hands. Forget, wash your hands. Oh, right, right, right. And he does it. And to see him develop over these months has been wonderful. But it took something. We went through something. Yeah. And without having that opportunity, we would never have grown in that way. You know, because the intentional community is all around our intention, whatever we like, right? Yeah. Even if it's spiritual, it's still whatever we like. So how do we handle things when it doesn't uh, meet our standard of conduct? Do we then think of ourselves as superior, you know, because uh, we uh, know more or we do things this way? All of this, uh, Asita was developing the Buddha's capacity to be sort of like uh, all things to all people that he could win some. He had no illusion that he was going to win them all. So there is that praise and blame. There is that fame and shame. There is that loss and gain. There is that pleasure and pain. I mean, if we were to sum up our world, that's it. Four wins. Those. We like four of them, and we don't like four of them. But our practice is to come to that middle way. It doesn't mean that we pretend pain's not pain. And that we pretend that that pleasure or or gain is doesn't feel good because it really does. But he says just know when this is a pleasant feeling and this is an unpleasant feeling. As it, that's what it is, pleasant or unpleasant feeling. And so if we don't have something undergirding pleasant and unpleasant feeling, if there has not been a certain foundation laid both through uh, precept teaching and example and experience 
or the discipline of doing it until the what you do your discipline uh agrees with the example that you think should be set then you have a platform before that you don't really have a platform but when those three come together you have a firm platform and we can then stand upon that platform and we can hold our own. One thing that, one reason that concentration uh, practice is, is so important is because it, it prevents um, mob mentality. It prevents getting caught up in the moment. It prevents like lose, I lost my head. Uh, one can remain steady and stable and immovable in every situation. Gauging and, and reading the moment. He knows when he should advance and when he should retreat. Pull back, now's not the time. If I don't push it now, I might have a chance to come back again. But if I blow it up now, no coming back, no second chance. This takes one with a steady mind and also one with a heart for resolution. One who can hold both the victim and the perpetrator close to their breast. Is that you? And so we have many who are going out and they're standing on the front lines. And all that they say is true. But not having the capacity to hold the container. I remember in the... In the 60s, when Martin Luther King, uh, you know, he, they were training you in nonviolence, and then you go out and you sit at a counter and somebody come punch you and you don't hit them back and things like that. I said, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm not going out there like that because uh, I'm nonviolent, but I'm nonviolent to a point. I said, I'm not going to let you suck a dog on me. I'm not going to let you suck a, put a water hose on me without a fight. I mean, I might go down, but I'm going to go down fighting. And so I didn't go. I didn't want to mess up what they were doing. I saw value in it. I saw worth in it. But I knew I wasn't qualified. I actually, not only was I not qualified, I didn't want to be qualified. I didn't want to let anybody do that to me. And I saw how, as they went forth peacefully, how the world was shocked. And people saw themselves and it brought about a change maybe not as much change as we wanted but things were never the same yes and i'm not uh giving any credence any respect any honor uh and any um apology for to it yes police brutality but in my lifetime, I've lived in a time when I could walk down the street and anybody white could brutalize me because of the color of my skin. Well, now it's the police. If you're just ordinary white folk, you might get arrested. But there was a time when anybody white could. And so that's what I'm saying is that when something is happening to us, we can think that this is the worst thing that can be happening. 
and we have a, a, a reaction and we've got to do something and we've got to combat, but we have to also be wise. We have to also be very straightforward. We have to also look at what we ourselves are willing to do and when are we willing to do it. I mean, beyond talk, I remember maybe four years ago with the arising of the of the POCs, and they would say, Paniwadi, what do you think? What, what do you think about POC? You know, the thing is, and this is just by way of just FYI, you know, when, when, uh, uh, is it all right to have this conversation? Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, because um, I hope you can receive it from me because I'm a friend. I'm a Dharma friend, and I want you to understand. You know. So uh, they said, well, what do you think about POC groups? I said, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't see anywhere there where the Buddha separated them into, into groups. He just said, y'all all stay together and y'all work that thing out. You know? And if somebody's only coming up 60%, you add the other 40 and both of you all come up 100%, you know? And, uh, and he said, you just have to keep rubbing that way. You have to just keep going back and, and work until you work it out, until you work it out. And you keep practicing until the scales of ignorance fall from your eyes and you keep meditating, you know, until the, the eyeness that is sitting on the throne you know, is seen and begins to fall apart. All of this is our work. All of this is our practice. And he said, you, you keep, so I said, I don't think we should break out into groups, you know. Now, I think there's been some advantage to it, for sure. But my point was, if you don't want me in your group, or I don't want to be with you, then I'm all for breaking out into two groups. And we don't accomplish very much. So now I look, you know, years later and groups have gotten more solidified. And the two groups have now broken out into 13 groups. You know, we got a group for everything now. Uh, I know one Sangha, they have more people in all the breakout groups than they have in the, in the general Sangha. You know, so they're thinking about disbanding and just stopping the general song and you pick one of those groups to go in and they select their different days. And when a certain group is in the building, they don't want the other group, even though there are more rooms, they don't want the other group in the building. And I'm saying, I thought that that would be uh, something that would happen if we did things in this way. Uh, so... Here we are, and we still have many, 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 many of the same problems that we had. So let's not make, I'm, I'm plugging up, I'm sorry. Let's not make the same mistake because the stakes are high right now. We talk about the country, that uh, this is a country, but when you look at it, we are like, sovereign states that are sort of banding together. And that creates some challenges for us uh, because one state wants to do it this way and another state wants to do something that way. And each, you know, saying that they 
have an agreement is that they have a sovereign right to govern their states. And when it comes time to put it all together for us to do something as a country, really no such thing. It's just, a, <laughs> that's a figment of our imagination. But likewise, within the states, you have your counties, and then they have the right to do things uh, within their county that may be in opposition to what you're doing in the county right next to us. And so we create another layer of complication. And then within the counties, we have cities. <laughs> Same thing. And we keep breaking that down, what came before that, what comes before that, and before that, and we get down to being you, individuals. And so we have all these different levels. So it's not an easy, you know, it's not an easy thing to fix. Uh, we're not going to all agree. What will we do then if we cannot all agree? Well, we can't decide, or, or else I was uh, thinking about participating in um, uh, a particular demonstration until I got to one line. And it says, and we're going to demand blah, 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 or else. And so I wrote the leader of that, and I said, or else what? What are you going to do when they don't meet your demand? Because I can tell you they're not going to meet that demand. What's the or else? And so uh, just, you know, friend to friend, I said, maybe that's not the most skillful way, you know, to approach this. It's going to be hard for your voice uh, to be heard because there'll be some for, some against, and there'll be some on the fence deciding which way to go. And to have the capacity to reach out in a certain way, opens the doorway to dialogue and creates an opportunity for there to be change. Articulate, we must be. And not just articulate in our words, but moderate in our actions. I asked one of um, our residents at Hardwood, uh, she's a, uh, a lawyer who would, uh, was on the Supreme Court judge's staff and would write briefs and so forth. I said, you know what? How come I don't know about things before they become a law? What, what, isn't there something that happens before something becomes a law? It wasn't a law and now it is a law. How come I don't know, you know uh, what that process is? I know I took civics in school, you know, but and then I grew up and had my loves and had my children and had my, my careers and made my money and, and then all of that dropped into the background. I said, you know what, I'd like you to, to form a citizen, uh, create a, a course called the Citizens Academy. And I want you to refresh our memory and tell us, um, she said, uh, something like, if, uh, well, there's a bill that's put forth and then there's a period of time that the citizenry has to respond to give their opinions of the bill. I said, that's what I wanna know about. How, where, do I, where do I go and speak about it before it becomes a bill? Not after. 
So it's all these kinds of ways. This, uh, I believe that we are waking up. And that waking up also requires something that goes along with it. You know, a spotlight or a flashlight can be very useful in the dark. Let's say you're trying to walk a path. But now if you're shining the spotlight up in the sky, that's not going to help you so much to not trip up. You have to shine it down at your feet. And so the Buddha said he gave both practices for us to calm and steady the mind, to get used to it being in a certain mode of stillness. And then on the other side, he encouraged us to study, to listen to those that we thought were wise. I think he's wise. To read what he has to say about our, our conduct, about our thoughts, about our speech. Listen to the instructions on how to carry ourselves that we would be noble. We talk about, I'll give you a quick example. Um, people want to come and work at Hardwood. And I say must be a person of integrity. So, you know, I get up, I get this whole write-up about how they, their integrity in regards to the world. But the Buddha's uh, assessment of integrity is different. It's a little different. He said a man of integrity is one of gratitude. He has gratitude. And that gratitude uh, shines forth in everything that he does. He said and one without it is considered in my dispensation a rude person. Now, who do you and what do you call rudeness? But he calls a lack of gratitude rudeness. He said he's a rude person and one who has no integrity. So you see, words can mean different things. But we who are of the Buddha sasana should know what our words mean and the qualities and the strengths and the character that we should exemplify, that we can become uh, embodiers of the Dharma, not just Paul Parrott speaking it, that we can actually embody it. And when we embody it, we what breaks forth out of that union of mind is wisdom and compassion. So I'd like to leave you with that tonight, and I hope that that's been helpful. I know it's been a very serious talk, but no amount of padding up, placating is going to get us out of this. It's going to take serious work, and I wanted to point you in the direction of where we should look if we want uh, to be exemplars for the world. Thank you so much. May you be well and happy and peaceful. May no harm come to you, no danger. 
May you always be able to meet the inevitable difficulties of life. Sound and song.